Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler free. I am one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I'm being talked into doing new podcasts by Caitlin. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about a Discovery of Witches, I'm failing at not starting new podcasts. <laughs> yep. And I'm Anya, and when I'm not talking about vampire genetics, I'm podcasting about the stories that I love most over on Hallowed Ground Storycast with my co-host, Alan. Great. And just to sum up, for those of you who listened to episode 10, when I did my intro and I talked about trying really hard not to start a new podcast, not only did I fail, but I convinced Mandy to join me. So if you are looking to hear us during this downtime between Discovery of Witches News... We will be podcasting about the new Netflix show, Shadow and Bone, on our new show, Enter the Fold. And you can listen to us there if you're interested. And hopefully it will very soon be available on the podcatcher of your choice. I mean, this won't be out till Friday. So so in theory, it's already out for everybody. <laughs> so usually we recap every episode of the TV show, but this is our season two wrap up and and our look ahead to season three fun discussion with all three of us. But unlike our regular episodes, our wrap-ups are open to spoilers. And so, especially since we're going to be discussing season three news, so please expect book two and three spoilers if you haven't read the books. FYI. Since I'm only halfway through book three, I'm very excited to see, um, you know, potentially get spoiled on the air while we're recording. It could be fun. It's always a good time. I don't see us discussing any like big plot spoilers though, but uh, I don't know. So we don't have many questions from our listeners uh, that I particularly wanted to address, but we did get an email from someone named Suzanne who sent in a very nice correction about our misremembering of the Falcon scene in the book. We just couldn't really address in the show since we record two weeks ahead and it was awkward, but I just really want, it was a really nice email, and I just wanted to say thank you. Absolutely. We misremembered a lot of things this season because it had been so long since we had read the books, um, so I appreciate when our listeners very nicely let us know. I, I think it's fine that we misremember. It sets us apart from all the other podcasts who know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are definitely, definitely professional podcasters here. 100%. Oh, yeah. And then um, we had a tweet from at SiegelBeagle88 on Twitter. And I've actually talked a bunch with her on Twitter about this season. But one thing she sent around episode six that I really wanted to discuss more in depth when we got to the end of the season was just how we were feeling about what episodes were directed by women and written by women and what were not. Because I feel like season one was much sexier than season two. Oh, even though they actually had sex in season two. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was due to the, it always ended up being men directing those scenes. Mm. Or that's just an opinion. Well, because I remember in season one when they had the, oh, God, what's the word? What, what did we say when they were in the bed together? The bundling? Was, bundling, yes. When they had the bundling scene, we talked about that and how it was a super sexy scene, even though they didn't actually mm -hmm. have sex. And none of the sex scenes in season two were quite up to that level. Yeah. And it, I, I find that interesting. And it didn't occur to me to check to see who had directed the different seasons or different episodes. Wait, so Kate, let me just be clear. Are you saying that 
you think season one felt sexier than season two because those episodes were directed by women or because those episodes were directed by men? Uh, okay, so actually, I didn't check the season one episodes. I know, I know the scene that I personally consider the sexiest in season one when they are at the Bishop House, like tearing each other's clothes off, literally. Uh, that one was directed by a woman. Okay. Oh, are, okay. So you're saying then in season two, you think the male directors played down the sex. Or maybe it was a, I don't or know maybe whose just, choice it was. Yeah, maybe coincidence. Maybe coincidence. Okay. Maybe just the the general fact of the will they, won't they ends up being sexier than the now they have. Yeah, that was going to be my theory is just that like, the the tension of like coming together is sexier and more romantic right like that's kind of the whole point of the romance genre is they get together at the end not at the very beginning so yeah i i kind of just um put it down to the fact that now they were together and now we're doing more of a adventure story with strong romantic themes rather than like more of a romance with strong adventure themes that's fair i i guess i just wish we'd seen episode six directed by a woman i would i would have liked that i can i I've, i've been spending this moment googling the episode in season one with the bundling was directed by a woman i can't help but think that this matters i think it matters just in in aesthetically Mm-hmm. Men, men and women do have different sensibilities. And, and so I think it may have something to do with stylistically how things were interpreted. But, you know, everybody has their own desires and, and feelings about what is sexy and what isn't. So even though you and I think that the bundling episode was more sexy than maybe what we had in season two, there are a lot of people who thought season two was super, super sexy. I'm not saying season two wasn't sexy. I'm just saying season one was sexier. Yeah. And that's like the one thing that I think season one got better than season two. Yeah, I mean, but I think I think um, Anya has a point too. Season one was definitely more romance, and season two was more action. This is yeah, it more than one factor. Yeah, definitely a great conversation though. So then I just have some general questions about season two that we can answer as much or as little as we want. They were just things I came up with that we could talk about. Okay, let's go. All right. So let's start with what was everybody's favorite Elizabethan outfit? The wedding dress. See, mine is Matthew's wedding outfit. Oh, see, I wasn't even thinking about Matthew's clothes. I was just thinking about all the pretty dresses. No, that's fair. But I really love that shirt that he wears to the wedding, the doublet, jerkin, tunic. I don't know what you call it. It's just gorgeous and I want it. Okay. Okay, then I think I'm going to have to say... For Diana, it's her wedding dress because of that lace collar. Mm-hmm. It's everything. But mm-hmm. for Matthew, it's going to have to be the cape and the, the hat with the feather in it. That one, that one's good, too. But I like that one on Matthew. It's not one that I want for me. Ah, fair enough. Like his wedding outfit. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about you, Anya? I feel like I'm going to reveal something about my uh, bisexual tendencies when I say that I really like Diana in the writing pants with mm-hmm. her yep. like dress bodice loosely worn over like a blouse 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that one's definitely good too. Like, I don't want to wear Diana's wedding dress, but I would totally wear that. Yeah, and she pulls off the like the like mix of like feminine and masculine and like old and modern and like something about it just works together really well. Although I have to say like maybe my favorite outfit cinematically was the dress that she was wearing when she was rowing out her frustration. Mm. Um, because the color in the dress just like so perfectly matched the like fall foliage on the hills behind her. Yeah. That was just like, I don't know how, how well the costuming department like planned for that, but like, that was amazing. And it's not an outfit, but I loved her hair at the scenes when she was at the emperor's palace. Mm-hmm. Um, with the the blue ribbon woven through. Yes, that was good. I liked whenever she had her hair in like a net. Mm-hmm. I like that. That looked, that was just my favorite hair look. My favorite dress of Diana's was the one she wore, I think when they met to, when they went to go meet John D. I think that's the one where she's wearing like the bronzy fall colored one. Okay. With the, I think that's it. Uh, I could be wrong, but the bronzy fall colored one. That's the one I like. Although I do also like in this, it might be the same dress that Anya's talking about, but I just picture it more in the scene where she's uh, sort of facing off with Philippe Mm -hmm. because it's, I like that one because it's got like the skirt is a different color than the top part. And I don't know. I just thought that one really worked. I liked how it looked. It was very understated, but very nice. All right. Uh, Favorite adaptation choice. I was not prepared for this question. I should have been prepared for this question, but I wasn't. <laughs> uh, I can go first. Okay. I I think my favorite adaptation choice was just the how they did how they sort of picked the book apart and then re you know rebound it up together and streamlined it. Yeah. So that it was less back and forth. Yeah, I think I will agree with that from the standpoint of they cut out a lot of fluff, like having a start in London instead of starting at the lodge and kind of having everything yeah. just basically be London, Sator, or Bohemia. Like that's it. Those were the three places we were at this season instead of kind of being all over the place like they were in the book. And so that really yeah. centered the story. Yeah, I think that's definitely the correct answer. <laughs> just because, <laughs> I mean, it's the biggest change right that has the this strongest impact on the story but just to give a little bit of diversity in the answers I think my favorite smaller scale adaptive choice is the way that they completely rewrote the beginning of Marcus's and Phoebe's relationship right Um, just in like oh my god the book was so bad (laughs) um (laughs) Marcus is an asshole. He's like a typical, like, smarmy man man who doesn't know how to take no for an answer and is basically just, like, sexually harassing her. And then in the TV show, they had them actually, like, flirt together and share interests, and Phoebe showed interest back. And it, yeah, it was a much better, more modern um, take on romance, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I had for actually forgotten that about Book Marcus, but you're right. 
So you've gotten at least that far in your reread? <laughs> Calling you out. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I I did not fulfill my promise of, of rereading the book before we recorded this. Okay. I love that it wasn't me who called you out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Anya. Appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so moving on so that Mandy doesn't have to. Actually, you know what? Let's do least favorite adaptation choice. What did you not like that they changed? Ooh. Do we have to narrow it down to only one? No, you can say whatever you want. Can um, I just say I wish there was more gallow glass? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when I say favorite, least favorite, I guess I just mean which ones do you want to talk about? I wanted more gallow glass. For sure. Uh, but I also wanted way more Philippe than we got. I'm disappointed that we didn't get much Philippe and we didn't get very much of her dad because and I, I yeah. can't. Okay. So full disclosure, I didn't reread the book like I was supposed to, but my memory of the book is that the way it was written and the way the story was told, we got a significant amount of time with both Philippe and Diana's father. And they narrowed both of those stories down to a single episode. And that just doesn't feel right to me. And it bothers me. That's, I, I guess mine is also having to do with time. Because my, it's not my least favorite in that I think that they made the wrong choice. It's just that I'm sad they didn't have time. And that is uh, Diana's miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. the other big one. And and mostly just because those stories never get told. Yeah. And I feel like, not necessarily incorrectly, this season focused a lot on Matthew's life in the elizabethan era and you know his friends and all that and i i just feel like this the books are told from diana's perspective and are largely the audience is largely women and it's a story about women and i just feel like a lot of the those parts of the story have been cut out and it's now a story about matthew which is not necessarily incorrect for the plot right it's just i miss some of those well, there were a lot of things in the book, like details of Diana's life in the past that impacted mm -hmm. the future or present, I guess, however you can talk about time travel. Um, and right. there were more of those anachronisms that they addressed, like Diana writing in her book, like practicing Elizabethan um, handwriting and figuring out the money differences and all of that. You know, she documented that in a book and um, like just little things like that to kind of show the continuity between the two times. And that yeah. the people in the present are trying to keep track and understand what's happening with Matthew and Diana. And we didn't get that. We got in the present, everybody's just waiting. They're just waiting around, hoping that something changes and then Matthew and Diana come back, comes back. And I think that did a disservice to all of the people still in the present. Like we should have had more of Isabeau and M and Sarah communicating like as a family instead of just people forced to be together except for the few like seconds long scenes that we got yeah like I feel like I'm making it sound like I don't like the season I just I, I feel like there were some things that they did really really well and I think there were some things they could have done better although part of me understands that they had a very limited amount of time and space to tell the story yeah, like I get this is a huge book with so much in it. And and largely, I think they made good choices. I just, there were some things that I, I wish they'd prioritized certain things. Yeah, yeah. I think that what we did get of Isabeau was really good. Like the scene with her and Joubert. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was 
hilarious and i don't think that was in the book um it's been a while since i've read it at this point no in in book two there's very very little modern day scenes and it's like marcus gets the paintings from phoebe and is a bit of an ass they do find the book i forget exactly who goes after it or if they do get it um but but like there's a whole chapter from the librarian or the museum curator's point of view Mm -hmm. so i forget who like which one of our characters gets the book, but um, we first find out about the book from the point of view of just the museum curator trying to figure out Sorry, where, where it's from. Just because are we're still talking about the book that, that Diana wrote in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay the museum is um, in Spain. Okay. Just because when we say the book and we're talking about oh, yeah, yeah. this not, story, not you know, I get, I'm like, yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. All right, so let's move on. Um, Unless anybody else had anything else to say, sorry. I guess I'll go back to the question of favorite adaptive choices and just give a couple more. I feel like I really liked the, I don't know if this is specifically an adaptive choice, but I feel like the TV show's versions of Kit and Louisa, I liked a little bit better than the book's version. Just versions, um, I think just because... I don't know. I think the book, the TV show version of Louisa, you get more of that like crazy fun side of her. Like more there's something about her that's like a little bit more captivating than just being, um, you know, like horrible and malicious. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit of that Drusilla glee, I think, um, that the actress managed to capture in the TV show. And then a similar thing for Kit. I feel like TV show Kit is a bit more sympathetic and pitiful rather than like just a possessive asshole. I mean, he is also that, but um, in a way that makes makes him a bit more complicated and um, sympathetic. I mean, not that you're rooting for him at any point, but you're you're. You're kind of just like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right about Louisa. She definitely has more personality in the show. In the book, she was just a blood, rage, malicious plot device. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually at least got to know a little bit about her motivation. And it wasn't just blood rage for her. It was sport, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it and the relationship between Kit and Louisa, like we get a little bit of that and kind of understand, you know, why they even like each other and are hanging mm-hmm. out. Yeah, for sure. I liked all those scenes too. And, and I think the show benefits from not being from Diana's point of view. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this one is probably going to be, well, actually, I don't know Anya's answer, but a uh, favorite episode. Episode six. Anya? Oh, I was waiting for you to say episode six. <laughs> oh, no, mine's episode nine. Oh, interesting. I don't know. You know, it's... Uh, I wasn't really, like, thinking about these episodes as episodes, per se. Because you binged? I binged the second time through, yeah. I feel like this style of prestige TV show, there's, you know, like... Okay, because this is the one other show that we all have in common. Like, when you talk about an episode of Buffy, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a capital E episode of television. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the one where blah, 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 blah. And when you have 
these thing, these, you know, the more modern style of television, prestige television shows where it's like, here's a story and we're just kind of chopping it up into 10 pieces randomly or, you know, not completely randomly, but like, you know, I don't know. It's just, to me, it almost feels like a question that doesn't matter. Like, I would never go back and just be like, I really want to watch episode eight again, you know? Like, I'm either watching the whole thing or not rewatching it at all. Interesting, because I've watched episode six and nine more than the other episodes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a difference in, like, the way that we watch TV shows, but, like... All right, well, do you have, like, a favorite bit, a favorite scene, a favorite thing? Give us something here, on <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, um... I liked anything with Isabeau. I liked Isabeau and Phoebe meeting each other for the first time. Yeah. Um, I like Phoebe and Marcus's original flirting. Okay, I should probably think about something from the past that I also liked. You don't have to, if you were into the modern day stuff. Um, yeah, I think I really did like the modern day stuff. I mean, obviously the bulk of the season is the past stuff. And if the past stuff hadn't worked, you know, the season wouldn't have worked at all. Uh, I guess I think I liked the set tour stuff the most and then maybe London the next most and then Bohemia aside from that one scene with Gallo Glass walking in after the fire was probably like my least favorite. <laughs> Not because it was, was bad. a good scene but <laughs> yeah but just Bohemia was kind of underwhelming compared to the the other two. Yeah and I think part of it yeah was maybe just like where they directed their budget. And God, Emperor Rudolph was just such a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's good. Yeah, yeah. That means he was doing a good job. Yeah, I guess I really liked all this stuff with Rabbi Lowe, though. All right. Well, actually, that brings me to my last question that I have here. What was everybody's favorite new actor? Hmm. The woman who plays Phoebe for me. Yeah, I didn't look up names. And I knew I was going to ask this question. <laughs> Adele Leontz is Phoebe. That's right. I mean, I feel like I kind of have to say James Gruffoy or Stephen Cree. Yeah. Like, there's no wrong answer, but they were so good. Like, James Purfoy is um, Philippe. Who is the Philippe. second person? Stephen Cree is Galaglas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, everybody was good. The The woman who played Mary Sidney, she played her wonderfully. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Queen Elizabeth? like totally pulled off oh yeah she nailed it monarch yeah like there there was no bad casting like i was concerned before the season started um mm -hmm. largely because i wasn't familiar with everybody that they cast right and we were going up against Teresa palmer and matthew good who we have just come to love so much but there was no bad casting once we actually saw everything like okay even... i will object okay Okay. This is not necessary, not technically a new season two person, but kind of a new season two person. I did not like Diana's dad. Mm, okay. Was it the actor or the way they wrote him? I think definitely a little bit of both. Like, I think the writing for him was not good, especially compared to any of the other characters. And then also, I think his delivery was just like a little bit flatter than okay. I think the rest of the cast. I think that's the problem when you cast someone to do one thing and then, oh no, we need him to actually 
do a whole big thing in the next season. Yeah. You know? Not that he's necessarily a bad actor. That just I just mean that he was not necessarily the type of actor for the scenes that they needed in season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's a tall order, right? Like, basically needing someone to pull off, like, seeing your adult daughter while time traveling in the past and knowing that you're about to die, probably, and this is your la- your one chance to, like relate to your daughter as an adult like grown up to grown up you know it's obviously i'm not an actor i could not pull that off um (laughs) but yeah it just kind of his performance and the writing pulled me out okay and that was the one time in the whole season where i felt like i wasn't just bought into what was happening on screen a hundred percent I think that's why I wanted them to have more time together because Mm -hmm. I wanted to enjoy that relationship so much more than what we got on screen Mm -hmm. because in the book, I really did enjoy it a lot. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. Like he, his performance was not nuanced enough for that character. Yeah. And the dialogue was almost like comic book cheesy bad. Mm. To be, to be fair, for the for the writing of the dialogue his dialogue was like that in the book and i think what what deborah harkness was trying to do with that was show that he was from the 70s or the 80s or whatever it was you know like he was trying to make she was trying to make him sound different than modern day diana Mm -hmm. i see but it but it just came across as being weird Mm. yeah got it and i and then i think they were trying to adapt that dialogue and keep some of it but also make it less terrible if that makes sense. Yeah. And also like the general notion that he he might not be able to get over that he's talking to his four-year-old daughter, even though she's 32 now, you know? Mm-hmm. So she would he would still be talking to her as if she were a child sometimes in the book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just for his own like sanity that, you know, that he sort of had to keep thinking of her that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Actually, this reminds me. Can we go back to favorite adaptive choices? Not having Diana call him daddy all the time. Oh, fuck. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> that would have been so bad. Like, and again, I totally go what Deborah Harkness is going for. Like, she wants yeah. to remind us that Diana hasn't seen him since she was like, seven or eight yeah yeah and so it makes sense that a seven or eight year old would call him daddy but like you just can't have that coming out of an adult woman's mouth and i feel like it also is like i mean yeah reality is no excuse for fiction as lonnie tanrich always says but from my perspective i feel like diana's 35 a tenure track professor like she would have had to talk about her dad at various points as an adult. And I just feel like she would get used, she would have gotten used to saying like, my dad, my father, you know, like, I don't think who you are when you are, you know, in your 30s is so different from who you are when you were seven or eight. I don't think you would lapse right back in to calling your parent daddy. I think I disagree. Um, in part because I still call my dad daddy sometimes. Really? Okay. I do. But I'm also Southern and that's yeah. definitely a different thing. And Diana is far from Southern. She's um, pretty waspy. But <laughs> if 
when you talk about someone and then you're talking to someone, it's slightly different, especially if the only name you ever knew somebody from physically was mommy or daddy. When you see that person again, it totally makes sense to me that you would revert to calling them by the name. Because when you're a child, like you don't necessarily know that your parents have a different name than mom or dad or mommy or daddy. Like you may intellectually know, but because you never use it, it's like muscle memory. Maybe, so maybe I'm it. the wrong person to be talking about this because I have pretty much called my parents by their first names from like, even when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that that was weird until like one of my friends pointed that out and they were like, wait, why do you call your parents by their first names? And I was like, I don't know. That's what like, cause that's their names. <laughs> this is the most you thing I've ever discovered. <laughs> I don't know, like, they sometimes called each other by their names. That's just, like, who they, anyway, they called us by our names, whatever. Yeah, no, that makes total logical sense. Absolutely. But there, there are people, there are children who don't know their parents have other names until they're yeah. older, like middle school age, even. So I, I buy it in, in the book. I'm glad we didn't have to hear Teresa Palmer saying it. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, in defense of the book, it was published in 2011, so it was written probably like 2009, which is perhaps prior to the word daddy becoming synonymous on the internet for I want to fuck you. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so Okay, fair. So I think in the book, like, I genuinely think Deborah Harkness was not thinking about that at all. Oh, I'm 100% sure Deborah Harkness was not thinking about that at all. Um, but you... Um, you bring up a good point that like this book is probably over 10 years old at this point. So um, yeah, it makes sense that, well, and also Deborah Harkness is maybe not as much of a creature of the internet as um, you know, people all, who podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that It makes sense that that's not where her mind would be. Yeah. Just cause I didn't answer my technically my favorite a uh, new actor is James Purfoy, but I also just wanted to bring up since we haven't yet. I didn't even look up his name during that whole fucking conversation. Um, the kid who played Jack. Mm, yeah, because he was fabulous. Yeah, he they was. didn't give him a lot, but what they gave him, he did phenomenally with. I yeah. really want to hear what his normal accent sounds like and know what kind of accent coaching they gave him, because it sounded good to my ears obviously i'm not actually british but like accents are hard for adults and so for a kid to be able to pull that off is super impressive just to say his name it's joshua blue pickering <laughs> who i actually think is likely in town right now with like where i live oh, oh he's in vancouver well he he on instagram said something about getting a job and flying to canada and I don't think that they're filming in Toronto right now. So likely he's here. Cool. Because Toronto is a COVID suspect. Yes. Yes. But I mean, they also don't seem to care in Toronto. So maybe they're doing filming there. But I mean, likely most of the filming that's done in Canada is done here. Most of the filming in the world, I'm pretty sure is. <laughs> that's my favorite thing about Discovery of Witches. Not filmed in Vancouver. Thank God. <laughs> nice. Even if it had been, at least for season two, you probably wouldn't have recognized. You'd be surprised. Really? <laughs> You'd be su Sometimes I just need to see a shot of trees and I'm like, oh, that's here. Oh. 
It it has literally happened. Oh, that probably takes you out of the story a lot, doesn't it? So much. So much. That was all the questions I had. Before we uh, move on to discussing season three, did anyone have any else they wanted to say about season two? I think for me, I mean, season two was better than season one overall, even though it sounds like I complain about it a lot. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. And I feel like our wrap up episodes always end up being us getting out our frustrations. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Even though this is two of two. (laughs) Yeah. Even if we overall liked the season, we just something about our wrap up. We're like, okay, let's just let's just word vomit everything we hated. Yeah. But I mean, I'm really excited for season three if it continues this trajectory. Right. Like season two is better than season one. So I'm hoping season three is better than season two, although because they gave us fewer episodes and it's a longer book. I'm slightly concerned. So I'm about halfway through book three right now for the first time. And a lot of book three is exposition and dialogue. Oh, my God. Um, That's like my impression of the first half. And so I feel like there might be ways to streamline that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. So much of book three is just talking. Mm hmm. Like, I like book three, and that works in a book, but so much of it is just, I, I'm like, we don't, we don't need this. Carry on, please. Okay. For, right. From the perspective of cool. adapting it into a TV show, they're going to, there's so much they can cut out easily. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm, okay, this is not about season two. So actually, okay. My thoughts on season two. I really liked it. I loved, I'm so sad that we're losing this fabulous costume department. I mean, the department might still be right. there, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to see them go back to their professor outfits. Though, you know, I like their modern day clothes, too. They, Everybody looks great, but I just... I wonder if any of their fashion choices, when they come back to the, the present, will be inspired by or motivated by the past. Like... Well, Diana have just discovered that she just really loves the way this one thing is. And so she's going to like bring it into her modern clothing choices. That would be interesting. I would love to see, to see that. The lace, the lace collars, definitely the lace collars. The <laughs> pictures that I've seen from set, she just looks like season one Diana, like down to the blue coat. Oh, the, her season one costume, because it was really just like one, was so boring compared to what we got in season yeah. two. I mean, it wasn't just one. She had some really good sweaters in season one. I know, but it felt like. And just I will say, one. the first time I saw the picture of her in a blue coat, I was like, I got like nostalgia feels. Like, ah, Diana's in her blue coat again. She's home. I'm while we're talking about locations, I'm wondering if they're going to actually film on Yale's campus for season three. No, because I'm in that part of the book right now, and. So much of of the book to me feels like it's just dedicated to giving a strong sense of place of like Yale as a location, right? And so I feel like, but they they have not they did not oh, okay because so they'll they'll just be using like a generic uh or campus or something or they might not even go who knows yeah oh that's a good point. Because I can absolutely see them just having Chris come to England mm-hmm. and cutting out them going to the Bishop House. Because so much of book three is them arriving at a new house. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a lot of book two was also them arriving at a new house. But in book in book three, it is more because they go from Septur to 
the Bishop House, and then they then to Yale where they're staying at like Diana's old house there, and then mm-hmm. and then they split up. So Di- and then Diana goes to London where oh hey a new house that Matthew owns, and then they end up and- back at Septur except they don't go to Septur because Isabeau's like here we have this mini castle over here you guys can have that, and then from that they go back to London and it's like Jesus Christ. And don't they spend a lot of time, at least for the new houses, talking about how they're yes. decorated? Yes, they do. In the books. the one, I do want them to keep the house in London because I like that, because Diana discovers that Matthew kept their Elizabethan bed there. And she's like, our bed is here. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But cool. that's the only one I care about the rest of that. It, so many houses. So I guess that's how we, that's season two wrapped up. We're moving on to season three. The way that, so I do know that they didn't leave England because A, COVID, and B, money, I guess, for filming. And they also did construct the exterior of a house that was supposed to look New Orleans-ish. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah. That's right. I forgot they spent some time in New Orleans. In well, Matthew does. Well, Matthew and Jack yeah. and Ransom. Uh, Marcus, they go to see Ransom in New Orleans. But again, we don't get much of it in the book, so I think they've really upped its content but let's talk about the new casting do we want to discuss new baldwin first let's do it we've recast baldwin (laughs) no i'm so sad because honestly like i feel okay how do i want to say this i really enjoyed baldwin in season one like he's an ass but he is a charismatic ass Mm -hmm. i guess and I think the TV show did a good job of making him more sympathetic and understandable than he is in the book. And so, you know, as I've been reading through the third book, I really have enjoyed, like, picturing the actor doing mm. his asshole thing over mm-hmm. all the stuff that Baldwin does in book three. And and now I'm I'm just, like, crushed knowing that I will never get that. Yeah. Yeah. I was super disappointed when I found out they were recasting. I mean, I think everybody was, right? But not to mention the actual guy who played Baldwin probably the most of all of us. Yeah. We should say none of this, like, I'm sure the new actor is going to be great. I, I don't want to yeah. disparage on him. I just really, really loved uh, old Baldwin. Tristan. Yeah. yeah. Tristan Gravel. Do Tristan Gravel. Uh, do you want to explain why he's having to be recast? Oh, because... Yeah, I mean, he wasn't fired. No, he wasn't so. fired. He's been cast in the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, and they are filming in New Zealand. And because of COVID rules, he just couldn't get out of New Zealand to make it back in time. Mm. Well, on the plus side, we'll get to see him in something this else. This is true. Something that I will likely, like, I have a Lord of the Rings podcast already, so I don't even need to start something new to talk about that one. Right. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> what character is he in Lord of the Rings? I don't know that they've announced enough about the new show to even have character uh, oh no. names yet. Well, actually, yeah. No, the whole cast is have list they? here with zero character names. But we do know <laughs> okay. some of them because I know who's playing Galadriel. And I don't know. It's not on IMDb. And I don't know if I knew at any point in time. I could see him as like a good Boromir. Well, this is pre... This is nothing to do with Boromir. Boromir will not be alive. Wait. Oh, it's The Hobbit. No, it's before that. Pre oh. that. 
oh, it's okay. Sure. I uh, apparently am not plugged in enough to Lord of the Rings fandom to know anything about what the show is doing. That's fair. Anyways, yeah, I'm excited to see him in that. Um, but I'm just so very sad that Baldwin will no longer have a Welsh accent. He'll be Irish now. <sighs> That's fine, I guess. But it's not Baldwin. Wait, I had no idea that he had a Welsh accent this whole time. He sounds so Welsh. How did you not know this? I don't know what Welsh people sound like. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, oh, okay. I guess the one Welsh person I know is, um, and no, quote unquote, Becca from Great British Bake Off. So I'll have to oh. go back and watch him <laughs> and see if I think he sounds like Becca. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that like the actor is, you know, downplaying the accent, but I don't know. I can hear it. I think Welsh people sound completely different than English people. See, my ears are so untrained that I just hear British accent and it's just it's all British. Like, I know that there are different ones like and I I can generally tell the difference between like a Cockney accent and like a standard British accent. But for me, my ears just hear British and even sometimes my ears hear Australian and think it's British. So I suck. Yeah, I'm only slightly better than you. I can like I can kind of do (laughs) Liverpool if someone sounds like the Beatles. Mm. Um. And I can kind of, I can do like receive pronunciation and um, I'm, I'm like finally just being able to tell the difference between like South and North. If if I, mm-hmm. if someone sounds like Sean Bean, then I'm like, okay, that's probably Northern. Yeah. But um, yeah, I have to use like specific people as mm-hmm. benchmarks. I yeah. would say that I recognize a Welsh accent because I used to work with somebody who was Welsh and that really imprinted on me. But actually, it's because I've watched like all of Gavin and Stacey. Okay, yeah. More than once because I enjoy Gavin and Stacey, which is a British sitcom about an English dude who falls in love with a Welsh girl and how they're different. Okay, who's next up in our casting oh, list? Right. We've got... Oh, wait, do we want... Do we... We didn't really talk about Peter McDonald, though, at all. We were just... Well, I've never seen him in anything. He seems fine. We get like a brief one second glimpse of him in the teaser of being angry. It's probably okay. less than a second, actually, because the that when those scenes are going by really quickly, they go by really quickly. Okay, so no no thoughts, just uh, you know. We're sad, sad. about Tristan because he was he was perfect. But again, I mean, I don't want to like. I'm sure he'll be great. It's fine. Okay, so the next person I have in my list here is Genesis Linnea as Geraldine. Wow, it's not even on her Wikipedia page yet. So I have, when Geraldine was announced, Twitter was basically like, who the fuck is Geraldine? And that is, despite getting an answer from Deborah Harkness, I still have no idea. Oh, so she's not in the book. Apparently she is. But like for a oh. brief second, she's she's part of the New Orleans crew. So I, I see. Okay. She's a vampire oh. with, with Ransom. And like in the book, we actually see them for half a chapter from Matthew's point of view, you know? She is apparently Marcus's vampire daughter. Yeah, that makes sense. Who came to New Orleans with a traveling circus and was famous for her acrobatic skill. I have zero memory of her in the book, and I literally just reread that. Okay. But the actress yeah. looks great, and I'm glad that... I'm interested to see how they put more New Orleans uh, stuff in. You know, more mm-hmm. of Marcus's children. Yeah. Well, I'm especially since, I mean, because one of the things that you and I kind of lamented about over the course of season two is that there are a lot of things that books one and two built up to that were important in Mm -hmm. book three, like 
the pregnancies, the fact that she could get pregnant and that Mart knew it, and the blood rage, all of those things have very important implications in season three. And we got very little of it in season one and two. And so I'm still trying to figure out, like, how are they going to make all of this stuff happen without making it seems like it's come just out of the blue? I would even say that season one implies that Marcus has no children. And I genuinely thought they were going to cut them out. Actually, okay, I had a question about that. Mm -hmm. Because... So I remember that scene at the beginning of season one where Marcus tries to turn his friend mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it, quote unquote, doesn't work. Did I'm just trying to go back and play. Did did it actually not work or did he just make a vampire with blood rage and did Matthew kill him? No, it actually it did. Not no, work. it didn't work. OK, OK. Um, I mean, because that's another thing that's that's spurning spurring them on that they didn't touch on hardly at all in season two is that the reason that Matthew and Miriam are geneticists is because creatures are dying out and they're trying to figure out why and figure out if they can reverse it. And that's going to come back into play in season three. But it's been so long since we've heard about it because that was all season mm-hmm. one stuff that it's. It's just, it's one of those things that I, I don't quite know Are they just gonna, how like, they're going to tie it all mm-hmm. together. Maybe they'll just put scenes from season one in the previous Leon and try I'm to, like, sure they will. probably. I'm sure they will. <laughs> probably. Yeah. It's going to be so jarring going back to the present. I was so happy in the teaser to see that it looks like we're going to actually see Matthew and Diana time walking back. Oh, good. And not, because they're still... Because, in fact, I thought of you when you said this earlier, Anya. It looks like Diana is wearing her her riding pants again with her with with like a fluffy, puffy, puffy sleeve shirt in. the in, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It looks like she's wearing some Elizabethan clothes, but like her masculine version. Nice. And Matthew looks like he's in the exact outfit that they originally arrived in. So... At least we'll have some sort of a connection. I don't know. It's going to be weird. Anyways, um, so I'm going to let's go with then Ransom has been cast as Parker Sawyers. Ransom is another one of the children. Yeah, he's sort of like the head of Marcus's children. Well, I'm glad they cast at least one American. Yeah, since Marcus is American and that is where he made most of his children. Well, but the guy they cast... Uh, to play Chris is British. That's why I'm thinking they're not even going to have him be from Yale. Maybe. Oh, you think they'll just... Mm. Oh, maybe they'll have him... Interesting. Okay, maybe. Um, maybe they won't even yeah. be friends. Like previously. Oh. Oh, that would be... No, they need no, to I keep get, that. Because they I wouldn't... They she that. wouldn't trust him then. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. We're talking about Parker Sawyer's Ransom. And he looks great. I don't think I've seen him in anything. I don't think so either. But he looks pretty much how I always pictured Ransom. And he's been in a lot. He played a young Barack Obama in Southside with you. Yeah, I'm looking at his list and I have not seen any of these. No, I've not seen a single one. He was in the Tom Cruise, The Mummy. Yeah, I will (laughs) never see that on principle. Yeah, same. Same. Oh, I've still never seen The Mummy. I feel like... The original? 
Yeah. It's a good time. Oh, the original is absolutely worth watching. Well, yeah. we actually shouldn't say the original because the original is from the 1930s, but the Brendan Fraser one, good time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I know everyone loves it, so. Yeah, so I, I honestly, I, I don't have a ton to say about the casting for season three because I'm just not familiar with these actors. Yeah. Um, one of them I am familiar with from one thing, but we haven't gotten to him yet. I will say I do. I like that they're actually casting people that I don't know. It's I like going into into something without preconceived notions. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Um, but then yes, let's do our human. Um, Chris has been cast as Ivano Jeremiah, who not so much in his headshot looks like how I pictured Chris, but in that brief bit that we get of him in the teaser where he's in the lab coat and he looks kind of like ugh. That that's very Chris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, apparently I have seen him because he was in an episode of Black Mirror, and I've seen all of those, um, but didn't recognize him. I'm just slightly worried because uh, the actor is English, and but Chris like is very much leaning into his like Southern Alabama black man thing, mm. and mm-hmm. so I. I mean, a lot of British actors are really good at doing a flawless standard American accent, but I am very skeptical of their ability to pull off, like, Southern specifically. Um, But yeah, maybe they are just changing his character in that way. So, and and then it, you know, won't really matter. They've done that with other characters, because Sophie was supposed to be Southern. Oh, and she's, yeah, she's just standard and, American. And Agatha and presumably Nat are Australian. Oh, I was wondering about that because, um, yeah, in the, they mentioned something about Australia in the books and I was like, wait, what? Um, but yeah, that makes more sense. I guess I just forgot they were Australian. Um, cause, yeah, because they just, I, at least their accents to me, they seem like they're playing them as just like uh, straight up British. Yeah, they are. They've definitely okay. just made people... British. And I think like Peter Knox um, is supposed to be Scottish in the books, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of thing. I just found a quote from him and he says that he's playing a molecular biologist from Tennessee. Oh. And loyal university friend to Diana. So he is still going to be playing a Southern American professor dude. But maybe okay. Tennessee has a lighter accent than Alabama? I have no idea where Tennessee is. Depends on what part it can be. I mean, Tennessee is north of Alabama, but Tennessee is still very right. southern. Yeah. Um, but it depends on where in Tennessee. But I feel like um, Tennessee has more big cities where, like, if he was from Memphis mm-hmm. or Nashville, he might not have a super strong accent. Huh. I've... Particularly being um, a PhD. Yeah. Someone who's gone through, you know, many graduate And has presumably spent a lot of time in Yale. Yale's a university, not a city. Whatever city's near there. (laughs) New Haven. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say he's from Yale here. This doesn't really say enough, so I don't... They did mention in season one that Diana was from, or like, she's a PhD from, or that she's tenured at Yale, so presumably. That's right. Okay, yeah. So it, it just says he's a university friend to Diana, so... Um, probably is Yale. But maybe they do bring him to Oxford. They must. Because otherwise, like, they must. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope he's good. I'm sure he'll be good. It just, um, oh my god. I'm just thinking of, um, oh, what's his face? James Bond in Knives Out. Uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. 
And his accent? Oh, his accent. that's I mean, terrible accent. His accent wasn't bad, but like the whole time I was watching that, I was just like, I think he just watched a lot of seasons of House of Cards and like his accent in that movie is just like him trying to be Kevin Spacey. Well, it's he was actually... Okay, this is completely off topic from Discovery, which is he was modeling his accent off of a specific person. Oh, was he? Who really is, um, who really is from Kentucky, I think, okay. and really does sound like that. Okay. But most people don't know that that's a very specific accent, if that makes sense. Okay. I genuinely thought um, that he was, like, they, they wanted it to sound fake. No, he was modeling it off of an actual real um, historian. Oh like a Civil War historian, but even, I didn't know that until afterwards, so even me listening to it as someone who lives in the South, I was thinking, wow, that's really over the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all. Rant, tangent, over. <laughs> so we'll be interested to see what they do with uh, Chris. Uh, but yeah. I, again, I don't know, the actor, I haven't seen anything that they've been in. I just want to put in a short fl- plug for if you want to hear Mandy talk about the South, um, you should listen to her <laughs> podcast with Dr. Kelly Jones uh, called, what is it called? Southern Fried Pop Culture. Southern Fried Pop Culture. Yeah, Southern Fried Pop Culture. Yeah. Which we haven't had a new episode in a couple of years, but we've been talking about it again. So It's a good time. It's You talk about movies that I would probably never watch. Oh, that hurts <laughs> my heart. <laughs> okay, next. Let's talk about Jack, adult Jack. We finally have the answer to the question we wanted all season. Toby Regbo as Jack. So this is the person that I am familiar with. I am also familiar um, with him, although I don't think I've seen anything, but like... Actually, you have. Oh, what about... I have? He's in as one I of just, the Fantastic I didn't even, Beast movies. He was in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows as well. I didn't realize this. He played young Albus Oh, Dumbledore. yeah, I knew that. Right, of course. But that's not where I know him from. I know him for, as playing Francis on, on Rain. the CW yeah. television show Rain. Yeah, that's a, a show that I am familiar with, but I never watched. But, like, I recognize him from promotional stuff that I've seen. And um, my husband is continually trying to get me to watch Mr. Nobody, and apparently he was in that as well. So, um, Well, I'm very glad that I accidentally spoiled myself on Jack coming back um, by listening to the spoilers on the podcast. I think I cut so. that out from when I actually—because, yeah, because it was a spoiler— but yeah, yeah, when we when we when Anya and I recorded our first bonus episode, she was like, on on our first episode in the spoilers, we were just talking about season two, so she thought she was safe. And like the first thing we say on our episode two spoilers <laughs> is when Jack is an adult in modern day, blah blah blah. She was like, what? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, she's like vampire Jack, and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's how we felt when we read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I just, yeah, I had a, like, a, a different removed experience, but. I think he's perfect, honest looks-wise. I don't know. I have no idea if he can act. I assume he can, because he's been in a bunch of stuff. But looks-wise. Yeah. Yep, that's Jack. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally see him as Jack. And he's apparently a, a good artist, also. He draws, and Jack needs that, so. Oh, good, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm I'm really excited to see the, like, crazy string wall. I mean, without the string, but you know basically that yeah um i think that would be so much fun to put together as a set designer i do hope they keep that and and like jack's kind of offness that he has he looks great i'm 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 very happy with that casting of jack and then our last uh cast announcement was olivier huband 
I don't know if I said that right. I'm not good about Spanishy type things. Um, as Fernando, and he looks great. I'm perfectly happy with him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just from things that I've seen on social media, I think him and Stephen Cree have a really fun relationship, which is all I want. Who's, who's Stephen Cree? Gallo Glass. Gallo Glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He hasn't done a lot. This is actually probably going to be like his biggest role, but I think people seem to be really excited about it. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited for um, Fernando's character. I... I really like the idea that, and I, uh, so I'm stealing this from um, Noelle LaCroix on the Buffy podcast, still pretty, um, that they do with Lonnie. Um, but they said something about spoilers for Buffy when Tara dies in season <laughs> six and like Willow's grief being a specifically queer grief that like none of the people around her really understand. And so I like the idea that although I don't know, I'm trying to remember Like we, I guess we've already seen Emily be dead um, in season two in a way that you don't really get in the book. But yeah, I like the idea that Fernando is there as a queer man for Sarah mm-hmm. and kind of like helping her through that grief in a way that that like the other straight people around her like might not be able to understand um that there's just something like very specific about that type of loss i'm interested i'm very excited to see his relationship with both sarah and gala glass and just in general i love fernando so it'll be great to see him but in general with this casting i will say i'm kind of like not about any specific actor but i am upset that one human aside it's all vampires this, this, mm. the, I mean, the show is called The Discovery of Witches. <laughs> you want more witches? I do. Where's, where's Janet Gowdy? Where's Linda Crosby? Where's all these witches that Diana connects with in oh, modern the, day? The, the Madison Coven? And there's, um, and other people. Okay. Like, Janet Gowdy is really important to the story. I'm trying to remember. I don't think you would have met where you are in the book. I don't think you would have met Janet Gowdy yet. Okay, yeah, I don't think so. I'm, well, I'm trying to remember in Chris's lab, is there, there aren't witches in Chris's lab, right? Just demons I, yeah, and vampires? Just demons and his like lab assistant dude who's a vampire. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, they didn't announce any casting for members of the lab, so I'm assuming that's going to be like a much um, abbreviated yeah. part of the story. And And like Geraldine aside, these are all men. Yeah. And I'm like, why mm-hmm. why are there no women characters? Why I like the bits of book three that are Diana reconnecting with modern day women and her like trying to find a bet her her like life balance again and mm-hmm. have, you know, her her witch friends and her science friends and and her and her children and, you know, and her family and trying to balance all that. I like that that's a focus for her. So I'm upset that they're... And it's a discovery of witches. Why are they making it all about vampires? I mean, I get that there's a lot of the plot stuff with the vampires. Yeah. But the witches are important, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you only have, what, seven or eight episodes? Seven. Like, the things that get cut are basically Diana talking about her feelings to other witches. Sure. but And there are things that they can change that the witches were important in, I guess, but Janet Gowdy, you... N- I wonder if they're going to repurpose Satu. Okay, maybe. Maybe. Into Janet's role. Maybe. I guess I can see that. 
I kind of like that better than what happens with Satu in the book. But I'm like really that- specifically, because I don't want to spoil Anya, not explaining who or Does what Janet Gowdy Satu- is. Satu switches sides because uh, Nox wouldn't let her come to set tour and she got mad. Well, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Or maybe there's going to be more casting that they just haven't announced yet. Maybe. Which is dumb because they've already finished filming. Yeah. No, but I, I guess I can see them putting Satu into Janet's role. I guess we'll see. I just thought it was really important for, for Diana to be able to talk to Janet yeah. about things. Well, they- they might do a thing where we just get like a quick snippet of Diana doing those things. And so she's like an extra or a quick just credited with a scene and so isn't worthy of a big casting announcement. Um, sh- okay. Anya, they might do that. how upset are you if I spoil you for a big thing? I can just take my headphones out for a second. Sure. So Janet Gowdy is a Brightborn. She's, d- she's a, like, uh, Benjamin was her grandfather or great-grandfather. And talking to her is how Diana figures out who and what her children are going to be. Oh, yeah. I don't know that they could give that to Satu. So I can see Satu being the person who is on the council who, like, you know, sways opinion or helps sway opinion. But I just feel like they have to have Diana talk to somebody about yeah. the children. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. Wonderful. <laughs> I like. So, yeah, that's how I feel about them not casting Janet Gowdy. Okay. Um, so I did pull some screenshots from the teaser, so we can talk about it if we want. We got, like, Chris in his lab coat, like I said. I love the look that they've given modern-day Hubbard. I mean, Hubbard definitely looks less like a creepy, greasy creeper. Yeah. When I pulled that, I was like, who even is this? And then I was like, oh, it's Hubbard. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I like it. Oh, my God. It is. Yeah. They did a great job with him, I think. Mm-hmm. And then we get that shot of Jack there that looks very Jack. He looks great. I used to think that the next book that I really wanted was from, from Dever was a Gala Glass book, but actually, I think more than anything, I want a Jack book. Because I just want to know that he's happy. You know? I just want him to get yeah. his own happy ending. And then I love this power shot of Miriam getting off a, a helicopter. So I, That's a great shot of Miriam. Yeah, I love it. And I'm just excited for more Miriam because I love her. Yes. Oh, my God. I love Miriam, too. I If there was... Ooh, oh, actually, if I could um, magically add in either more Miriam or more Galloglass, I don't know who I would choose. It's such a t- tough choice. Mm. And then we get a quick shot of Sophie and Margaret, which I like seeing it there because in the book... Sophie and Nat and Margaret basically disappear after the first bit, and then they never come back. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that doesn't happen in the show, just because I like them a lot, and I like the actors. And we got so much of uh, Sophie's actress this season that it would be a shame, because between Sophie and not Sophie, we got a lot of her. Mm-hmm. So be ashamed not to have her next season. And then we have this really weird scene where they're all touching a sword, which I don't think happened in the book. But you do in the background get a glimpse of newborn uh, Bishop Claremont twins. So I thought that that was. Are you sure that that's not Margaret? Look how tiny that baby is. And look at how large the baby that Mar- that you know, just, uh, Sophie is holding. That is a newborn. That is not a newborn. And also, I think like you can see some white blankety stuff over here. You can't see where I'm pointing. 
No, but I, I mean, I, I know what you're talking about, but I was just thinking the hat looks the same. But I guess they could have similar hats. I guess the hat does look very similar, but that is a tiny, tiny baby. And that is not a, I mean, that's a small baby, but it's not a tiny baby. This is the best conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know what's going on with this sword also, because I don't think that was a thing in the book. Well, I don't remember a sword. It looks like a symbol of unity or something. Although I, I guess in the book they do, they do um, like induct the twins into the Order of Lazarus like right away. So that might be what's mm. going on there. Something like that. Maybe. And then we get modern day Gallo Glass. Yes, with we some do. Fernando. And they look great. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish Gallo Glass still had long hair though. I do too. I do too. I liked his long hair. I hope we get to see his tattoos that he has in the book. Maybe. Everybody's got long sleeves in mm-hmm. all of these pictures. It's true. And then there's Sarah looking sad, and I'm pretty sure from the background that it looks like she's at the altar where yeah, where M died. And then yeah, I didn't screenshot the stuff that you get like a lingering look at, which is just Matthew and Diana looking like they are just finishing up their time walking. All in all, I think it's going to be a great season. Me too. I'm excited. And with them already releasing a teaser, like, we must be getting it so much quicker. They did say 2022, so we know at least it's not going to be a three-year wait. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing it'll probably be January like the season was. That would be my guess also. I am very excited um, to talk about science with you guys, because there's so much more science in book three. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm... Like I said, about halfway through, I think. And yeah, we're spending a lot of time in lab. So I still don't know what causes blood rage or any of that. But I'm very excited to find out. Do you, going off what you've, what we've talked about in our bonus episodes about there being something about the pre-vampire DNA that would trigger something. Mm-hmm. Do you have a guess about what causes blood rage? Um, I mean... Other than what you just said very vaguely, not really. Like that is kind of my one my one guess is that it is something about the human DNA that when you like add the vampire to it, either if the, I, the blood rage gene either gets triggered or not, depending on what the background human DNA is. If I gave you a hint about unity being a big theme this next season, do you think you'd you, kind of guess? Huh. Your mm, hints are like not quite getting me all the way there we'll see i'm sure that as soon as i get there in the book i'm gonna be like oh of course and then immediately text you but we'll see all right all right all right i have one very important question for you guys and caitlin you and i kind of already talked about this before but do you think that we're gonna have ghost m and ghost philippe in season three i just don't see how they could do it because they just they haven't had the ghosts so it would be Mm -hmm. so jarring and weird like a part of me really wants it but a part of me mm-hmm. really doesn't want it because I don't know how they would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, from where I am in the books right now, it seems like it would be really easy to just cut them out. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. It, no, it would. It, it doesn't really change. Okay. Okay. So it's basically like just at the beginning. And um, you see a little over. bit more of the ghosts, but they don't really impact the story. I mean, they're more for emotional impact and yeah. exposition than anything. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say 
know then. You could have Diana possibly contacting them via like higher magics, but I don't, I don't know. I can see them maybe working them in a different way, but I haven't, and this might mean nothing, I haven't heard anything about them being on set. Mm, that's fair. But again, like, I'm I'm sure their thing, that doesn't necessarily mean they haven't been on set. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. But And I am a little sad about it. Not for that scene at the beginning, but I do like the scene at the end. Yeah. Okay. Part of me wants them to still sort of end with that scene, but like cut Philippe out. Because I think it's, I think it would just be a nice scene to end with. I don't know how they're going to end it. Because so much of the last, like, tenth of book three is just epilogue. Well, I mean, they can end it like the Lord of the Rings movies and just, yeah, give just keep giving us more and more and more. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to choose for their last season, scene. I like, because the scene that I'm thinking of, and this isn't plot spoilers, Anya, so I'm going to, I'm going to spoil you, sorry. Like, Diana sees Philippe, has a conversation with him. Which is a very cute, nice conversation. I do like it, but they could easily cut that out. But then based on something said in that conversation, they're outside Septur, I guess. They're just like in the field. And then she and Matthew kind of dance together. And I think that would be kind of cute to end it on. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where the children are at that point. Isabeau probably has them. She usually tries to just take them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Hopefully in early 2022. Hopefully. And who knows, maybe they will give us some, like, surprise casting information between now and then, and we will have some material to have some bonus episodes. And so far as bonus episodes, I am going to make Anya do one about, one with me about book science, because I suspect a lot of that science is going to get cut from the show, and I would like to hear her conversation mm. on all the sciencey stuff that happens in the book. Okay, yeah, I, I should have been taking notes. Um. Although, actually, maybe not, because I just want to finish it the first time, you know, be, like, fully immersed in the experience of reading it. Um, but, yeah, I definitely have had a lot of thoughts as I've been reading yeah. um, about the science. Cool. So we have at least one bonus episode, and I assume there's going to be more trailers that we can talk about and stuff. All right. Well, that was everything that we think of season two and a little bit of season three. If you have any thoughts or anything you wish to tell us you can tweet us at desire made real or you can email us at desire made real pod at gmail.com i'm caitlin and you can follow me and find my other shows on twitter at inferior caitlin and again if you want to keep listening to mandy and i talk you can check out our new show enter the fold about shadow and bone i'm anya and you can find me on twitter at strangely literal that's strangely then l-i-t-e-r-l and I am Andy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows, like our new podcast, Enter the Fold, at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eloquentgushing, or you can give me a shout out on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And like I said, we'll be back when I force Anya to talk about science. Okay, before we leave, can I just ask for the, like, 30 second pitch for shadow and bone. Cause I have never even heard of this book until you told me you were podcasting about it. Like why should I read this book? Watch the TV show. Well, I haven't read the book. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're going to be going into the TV show. with just a naive 
Um, yes. <laughs> nice. And apparently, apparently I'm going to be lied to and I have already been lied to. You have. <laughs> naive is, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, just like a. No, I, I like the word choice. I was literal like, way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 30 second pitch about the show or about the book. Yeah, I guess either well, way. Yeah. Um, honestly, I like what, uh, something that I did say in our trailer episode that the author always says about it when she's, her inspiration to write it was, what if darkness was a place? Oh, okay. That's very intriguing. Yeah. That and like Russian inspired political fantasy character drama with a side of criminal heist novel or show, but with magic. Cool. Yeah, I mean, what about that doesn't sound amazing. Yeah. And until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there's a new beginning. Do you want to try that again without laughing? No, <laughs> you I, like I kind of liked it with the laughing because you, Anya really threw me off there. So I think it's Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, you were like on the way out and yeah. I just like destroyed your flow. <laughs> yeah.